The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I am the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations identifying the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and develop business strategies and business leadership and practices to leverage those trends to create a strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes, the lead author of an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization, and I'm also an adjunct faculty member in universities in the U.S. and Germany. I am delighted to be joined today by David and Ed from the Kansas Leadership Center. For more than 40 years, David Chrislip has helped people enhance their leadership capabilities and collaboratively create visions and strategies for their organizations and communities. The broader purpose of his work is to build civil society. His work both nationally and internationally focuses on three areas, civic leadership development, collaboratively addressing complex community issues, and organizational strategy and develop. Ed O'Malley, the title president and CEO, may conjure up traditional notions of authoritarian leadership, but who holds those titles at the Kansas Leadership Center doesn't seem that way. O'Malley spent four years as a state legislator with a ringside seat to both effective and ineffective displays of civic leadership. To him, leadership is not a title, personality trait, or workshop topic. Instead, it's an opportunity that people can grasp to choose to exercise in many different ways and different venues. So the Innovative Leadership Show is really focused on helping leaders innovate how they lead. And in this time of uh, political uncertainty and change, the idea of civic leadership seemed particularly poignant, and thinking about how do how do business and, and um, political leaders come together to create a society that is most effective for all participants in the society and the community. So I'm delighted that both Ed and David chose to join our show today. My goal is that everyone hears something during each show that they can take away and experiment with in their leadership lives, whether that's business leadership, family leadership, civic leadership, volunteering. We all play a leadership role in some place if it is only to lead ourselves. And building these skills right now is paramount to our success and functioning as a civil society. So I encourage you to 
adopt something that they've talked about, experiment with it, and see how it's working for you. So let's jump in right now. The objective of this session today is to talk about what makes leadership programs exceptional. Specifically, the Kansas Leadership Center is the case study. If you're an organization looking to build or buy, this will provide some insights. And if you're an individual looking for a program, you'll also get a sense of what these programs look like and what you might want to be considering. So David and Ed, welcome. Please tell us a little bit about the center. Well, thank you, Maureen. David, it's been a decade since we started the Kansas Leadership Center. Uh, How should we sum it up quickly for Maureen? What comes to your mind? Well, you know, it goes back to the Kansas Health Foundation and their ideas about starting the Kansas Leadership Center and sort of an an implicit uh, hypothesis on their part that civic leadership was the primary social determinant of health. And so if if that's so, then, then their mission was to figure out how do you develop civic leadership across the state of Kansas. Yeah, and you know it, it's um, it's been a fascinating ten year journey. And when we when this thing began, you know we we didn't quite know what shape or form it would take. Let me just fast forward for a minute, Maureen, so your your listeners get a sense of what we are today, and then we can of course fill in all the details. But we're in essence a, a, a place, a school, a leadership school where people, adults, come from all over our state, from all different types of backgrounds, and now they come from well outside our state and outside our country as well, and they come here to learn how to make, um, how to exercise more leadership on the things that matter most to them in their companies, and their communities, how to exercise more leadership for what David and I would call the common good. Uh, so that, that's it in a nutshell, but there's a, a whole lot more we can explore together today. You know, you mentioned something, the the intersection between health and civic leadership. That's something we haven't talked about, and I'm really curious. Well, I have my own theories. I would love to hear, it sounds like you have data that connects these. What's the connection? Well, this goes back again. The Kansas Health Foundation was the the funder and the initiator of the Kansas Leadership Center and put together an advisory group in the mid-2005 or so. And they had a a number of years of experience of of traditional health foundation programming where you might fund educational programs, immunization programs, and so on. And most of these programs succeeded in some way or another, but they also felt that these programs could have gone deeper, been better, more successful, more effective, and so on, if they had been supported by leadership at the local levels. And and so and that is communities taking responsibility for the health of their communities. Um, and so that's what led them to to suggest or hypothesize that from their perspective, the way to a healthy community was by cultivating civic leadership across the state of Kansas. That is, people in many communities, many companies, organizations, churches, and so on, who could help that community collaboratively and collectively address their health problems, not just the health departments, uh, not just the elected leaders and public leaders and so on, but that they needed all citizens to be somehow engaged 
in in creating healthy communities. So this shifts the ownership of community success to the community members, not just elected officials. Uh, Very much. Yes, I think I think by all means, you know, it's one of the the key things we try to help people think about, whether it's in the the context of health or other contexts. Usually, those big, daunting, messy challenges can't be solved by by the you know the central authorities anyway. That, you know, the elected officials are important, or if you're in a company, the the CEO and the managers are important. They're necessary, but usually progress on the toughest issues are, is going to require leadership from a whole lot more people than just those people. So that that concept is definitely baked into our founding and, and why we exist. It, it seems so important, and maybe to other people it's more obvious. But it seems like right now what I see a lot of is we're all so busy doing our work, which has extended, especially with mobile devices, and then the basic stuff of life, cooking dinner, working out, that many people don't have the time left in the day to really worry about their communities. And it sounds like that's baked into your program. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you help people Bring the bring their lives together, such that commu- contributing to the community becomes foundational. Ed, you would pick pick up on this, and I'll follow up. Sure, David. Um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting question, Maureen, because I mean, you know, one of the things we are trying to do here is uh, we're encouraging people to to engage more, to risk more on behalf of. That their community, on behalf of um, their state, on behalf of the broader organization that they're a part of, to not just be concerned with what happens immediately around them, but to care for something bigger than that. And it, it is a challenge. I think a piece of it is, one, we try to help people understand the connection between what happens in the broader commons, if you will, to, to their own personal life and the connection that there is a link. Um, and we also, I think, try to help people uh, really zero in on what, what, what matters most. You know, often, I think you're right, Maureen, we're, we're all busy doing so many things. And we can say we care about something, but if we don't spend any time on it, our behavior is the same as if we don't care about it. And as we point those things out and help people really get a sense of uh, what's their purpose, what purpose are they, do they care enough about that they'd be willing to exercise leadership on its behalf, I think we help people get a little clarity and get some focus and, and move forward on those things that matter the most. But often it's a process of discarding things that aren't as important to focus on what is. And I think, Maureen, let me add a couple of things. I mean, one, one of the working premises we have is that civic challenges and most challenges, I think, that face organizations today are what we call adaptive challenges. And that comes from Ronnie Heifetz, and I think you may have talked with him in the past. Uh, but Ronnie's idea about adaptive challenges is that, is that we don't currently have the expertise or know the answers to those challenges. In order to get the answers to those challenges, we have to engage others. And it also involves the recognition that we're all part of the mess, as he puts it. So part of a piece of KLC is taking the people that come come to KLC and creating some experiences where they begin to understand that they are part of the mess, that each of us are implicitly caught up in the problems 
that we care about, that each of us in some way are complicit in terms of of why we aren't making as much progress as we would hope to on those challenges. And the third piece of, of it is in that we all share responsibility because of, of these, the nature of these challenges. We all share responsibility for making progress on them. And so a piece of it is, is just educating people about the nature of these challenges and what, what, and the roles that we need from many more people than the authority figures in order to make some progress on these challenges. Thank you. And I realize we jumped into a, to something that was interesting to me. Let's circle back now. And how large is the center? You talked a little bit about how it started. How is it structured? Yeah, the, the, the basic structure um, is uh, you know, we're, we have about 20 full-time employees. We have about another 25 people on contract with us who teach or coach in our programs. We will work with about, um, this year it will probably be close to 2,000 Kansans and multi-day long, you know, extended executive education style trainings. We'll work with several thousand more in shorter workshops or presentations. But in terms of our core programming, we'll work with a couple thousand. And um, we're also structured so that our ideas, our curriculum, our teaching methods are made available and and pushed out throughout our state and beyond. It's very important to us that um, more and more leadership programs uh, who are interested in our ideas um, you use them at no cost. Uh, we, we exist to serve the common good, so we have lots of leadership programs now taking place across Kansas and beyond that use our curriculum, use our ideas, but we're not running them, and that's an important part of our strategy. So we do a lot of core work ourselves, but we have a multiplier effect in a number of programs focusing on similar ideas. But that's, that's the basics of how we're structured, how we're formulated. We work more and more with uh, the private sector as well. And as we do that, we take the resources we earn, the financial resources we earn from those engagements to work with more people in the civic space. So so kind of the hybrid of mission-funded. Yeah, we're still very very much uh, funded by the Kansas Health Foundation, and we appreciate that. And... We realized a few years ago that for us to truly accomplish our mission, which is to uh, transform the civic culture of Kansas, that's what we're really up to. We're trying to create a culture of the state that solves problems faster, more effectively, more efficiently. Um, For us to do that, we have to reach a much larger scale than we're currently operating at. So beginning several years ago, we started to engage more uh, to generate additional resources, uh, and that's propelled the numbers of people we can reach. So it's a blended model, and one that we think uh, we think uh, if we think has a great chance at helping us accomplish our mission. We think 10, 15, 20, 25 years from now, Kansas will fundamentally be a different place. That's really exciting to change an entire state. Well, yeah, it, you know, it's it's ahead, something David. that in came out of. When we, when we were first starting KLC, of recognizing that the existing civic culture was not particularly helpful in terms of addressing adaptive challenges. Um, and is, and it, for a couple of characteristics come to mind. One was just the natural tendency to, 
to react to problems in an S versus them way, choose up sides. Um, and the second piece of it and, and was to, for many citizens, just deferring the responsibility to those in authority positions who were not necessarily able to exercise leadership to help make progress on these things. So the aspiration emerged fairly quickly when we started was this idea that Ed said of transforming the civic culture, where the default response to adaptive challenges shifts from an us versus them to an engaging civic culture. That's a great note to take a break on. I'd like to understand a little bit more when we come back about how we do shift from us versus them to engaging civic. So we will be back momentarily with Ed and David from the Kansas Leadership Center. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Before the break, we were talking about how do we move organizations from conflict-oriented, us and them, to more of an engaging civic uh, participatory uh, approach. How do you do that? Well, you know, one of the the early pieces of, of the programs that we put together, we called it Actually, we call it the Kansas Leadership Center theory, the theory of what we were up to, but another short term for that was the gap. And that was how do we get people to experientially understand 
that there was a gap between what we the progress that we hope for on civic challenges and the progress that we make. And uh, it, once they got a hold of the idea that that um, this gap between our aspirations and what was really happening, uh, then we could raise the question: What kind of leadership does it take to close this gap? And uh, and that that having people experientially understand that gap and that piece of that gap is the, and the reason we don't make as much progress as we would like is this civic culture, this us versus them competitive civic culture. Yeah, and David, if I could just pick up on that, I think a piece of it, Maureen, is um, if we can get them to understand that the, the the way we're currently operating, this us versus them culture, which operates in civic life, but I think you see it in organizational life also. You know, the accounting department and the marketing department don't get along, and they each think the problem is with the other. Um, and I just think we see it in civic life so visibly. But I think it's there. I think what happens civically is just an expression of how how our society operates uh, fundamentally. But if we can get people to think that you know, we have to we have to that the current way we engage is actually part of the problem, then what it does for us is it allows us to introduce you know a broader framework that has some key beliefs to it. A belief, for example, that leadership is an activity, not a position. And just because you have a certain title doesn't mean you're leading anything. And then there's a distinction between leadership and authority. So as we began to keep, as we began to explore this, uh, these ideas, and we began to explore that the civic culture itself is part of the problem, and we began to dig deeper and realize that a, a connected piece of the problem is our, our um, we confuse leadership with authority. And we began to break that apart in our work, and the framework now, 10 years later, completely revolves around the notion that leadership is an activity, not a position. And it allows us to then explore what is that activity and how would you know if you were doing it? And uh, if you have authority, is it easier to do the activity of leadership or might it be harder to actually do the activity of leadership? So it's a, it's a, it's a deep framework, but it revolves around, I think, at least those two core ideas. One, that the culture itself is a part of the problem. The way we work together is a part of the problem. And two, a belief that leadership and authority are two fundamentally different things, not at odds with one another, but certainly not the same thing. So do you take, um, I'm assuming, a participative approach? People come in and do activities. How, how do you help me as a participant start to tease out the difference between leadership and authority? You know, as someone who's done this for a while, I get it. But as a new leader, I can imagine that might be a fairly complicated topic. Yeah, you know, I think the, the, the way I would answer that, and David would be curious to your thoughts too, um, from, a te- from a technical, tactical standpoint, every participant is asked to, to bring with them a current presenting leadership challenge, a challenge, some vexing issue they're struggling with, they're dealing with. And what we try to make clear from the beginning is the degree to which they're exercising leadership is directly connected to the degree to which they're making progress on what matters most. So the fact that I used to be a state legislator, for example, tells you nothing about whether I ever exercised leadership. You would have had to have watched me. Is he mobilizing anybody? 
and make progress on tough issues? Or is he just giving nice speeches and being called a leader, even though he's not mobilizing anything? The fact that I'm a CEO of an organization tells you nothing about whether I ever exercise leadership. You'd have to watch me. So we start by really helping them zero in on what is that presenting vaccine challenge that you're facing. And we help them quickly get to the understanding that their the degree to which they're leading is directly related to the degree to which the system, the, the, the group, the organization, the community is making progress on that very issue. That begins to help them think about it a little differently. The fact that they're the mayor or the CEO or the school principal is relevant but not controlling. It's not everything. It doesn't actually tell us whether they're leading. That's one way we think about it. David, how else would you you answer Maureen's question? Well, you know, one piece of it is the aspiration from the Kansas Health Foundation too, is that we needed many more people exercising leadership in order to make progress on civic challenges in Kansas. And if we, and in order to do that, we had to, we had, as Ed mentioned earlier, we had to disconnect the idea from, of leadership as an activity from position or authority. That is, so many people who, who did not, do not see themselves as having positions of authority understood that they still had the capacity to exercise leadership if they so choose. They could perform that activity. Uh, they had a responsibility, in fact, if they were dissatisfied with the progress that others might be making on problems, they had a responsibility to use this activity of leadership. And so, so part of us, part of it was, was also to help people understand leadership as an activity, but also to understand it as a conscious and intentional activity. Something that you could, you could, as you, as you would see if you look into, deeper into the framework, whereas you could diagnose the situation to see what that situation demands. You could diagnose yourself to see about your capacities to, to respond to that situation or not. And based on that diagnosis of self and, the, and diagnosis of the situation, you could intentionally design an intervention and experiment with that intervention. Try it and see what happens. If it doesn't work, back off. Try something else. And so, so it, there's this four-part framework, diagnosing the self, manage, managing the self is what we call it, diagnosing the situation, consciously designing an intervention and doing it, and what, another aspect that reflects the adaptive nature of the challenges is in that intervention, there's a need to engage others. That is, again, taking it away from the leader-centered focus on authority and position and so on to leadership as an activity. Okay, so let me restate that, and you tell me if I got this right. So we identify an issue, whether it's um, health care in our community or, or something else, and then I, look, I diagnose myself and how I'm contributing and participating in the success and failure. I diagnose the situation itself, so that's the adaptive bit, that it's not a situation out there exclusive of me, but I'm part of it. Then I diagnose and inter- I, I develop an intervention. I do the yeah. intervention and I um, evaluate, test, measure, 
And in that process, especially of diagnosing situation and in designing the intervention, I engage others in the process. What did I miss? Well, I mean, I just pick up on a, I just pick up on a couple of things. Some of this is reflected in some principles that we established early on. One of them was this principle that leadership is an activity, not a position or authority. The second part, would go, which goes with that framework I, I outlined, is, and it begins with you. And adding to that, and it begins with you, and it must engage others. And it's risky. So our attempt in the principles to capture, you know, what we were talking about with those four, four uh, competencies, as we call them. Yeah, I think I think you summed it up quite well, uh, Maureen. And it's um, it's easier said than done. You know, it's oh yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think what we find is, and this might be something your listeners agree with, or they might vehemently disagree with, but. Uh, we think leadership is incredibly rare. We think it hardly ever happens. Um, we think it's the exception, not the rule. We don't think any of us are very good at it. And that there are pressures in every organization, in every system, in every community to do the opposite of what you just summarized. And um, if that's the case, if, if it is truly rare, if it is the exception, not the rule, um, that that is a little... Um, little scary to think about how are we going to make progress then on all these tough issues. Well, our hypothesis is if we can make it, um, we can make it a little more prevalent, the exercise of leadership a little more prevalent for thousands of additional people in a place like Kansas over a period of time, like 15, 20, 25, 30 years, we can actually affect culture change. Now, I think it can happen much faster in a company in an organization, but there's this belief that it's about making the exercise of leadership more prevalent with enough more people, enough additional people, that you actually begin to shift the way the the culture works that could lead to more progress on the tough issues. It gets back to the thing David mentioned a while back, that uh, early on we realized the culture itself is contributing to the uh, continuation of these problems. So we have to take an approach that will ultimately affect the culture. Otherwise, we'll just be spinning our wheels. And Maureen, just to, to add to that, you know, part of what this is countering is we do have, there is a dominant cultural narrative of leadership in this country, and I think beyond this country, and that that dominant cultural conception is conflates leadership with authority and it also suggests in some many cases leaders are born you either have it or you don't and leadership and and when somebody exercises leadership they do it in a in a sort of natural reactive sort of way uh it's a response to a situation not necessarily conscious and this is sort of turning that dominant cultural narrative on its head and suggesting disconnecting leadership from authority and position, suggesting leadership as an activity instead, and that it's a conscious and intentional activity too. So Ed's comment about leadership being rare, we're trying to cultivate many more people who have who 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 recognize the possibility of leadership and the possibility of their exercising leadership. And if we can get more to do that and perhaps to do it in a conscious and intentional way rather than just a, a reactionary happening sort of a way, we have a chance. We have a chance. 
at making some more progress. We have a chance, perhaps in 10 or 15 years, of transforming the civic culture. Well, then I'm assuming, well, I, I agree that it takes time and presumably longer than any of us want, that we can make significant impact on pockets pretty quickly. Yes, I, I mean, I think so. I mean, you know, we, the way we work, going back to your structure question, is we work through organizations. We work through companies and school districts, city governments, and nonprofit organizations. And, and so while we're working through those organizations to affect the broader culture of our state, we're seeing the transformation happen in those pockets. And it's really fascinating. In some ways, they are a microcosm for our bigger story. That when we work with an organization of 100 people and you begin to think about leadership training as not just for the select few who are going to climb the ladder of authority, but you think about it for everyone. And you begin over a period of time providing that opportunity for everyone in that organization. You can see phenomenal shifts and phenomenal progress in that organization making more progress on what they care about, what's most important to them. So I think you're right. We can see it happen faster in pockets, and we can learn a lot from what we see when we look at those pockets and evaluate what's happening and what's working and what's not. Ultimately, this is a big experiment. You know, that David and I, when we started this, we were looking hard, weren't we, David, for something similar to what we were up to. We couldn't find anything that had the focus on, on civic leadership, also had a focus on scale, could work with thousands and thousands of people for the amount of time we would be able to operate under. Uh, so we're, we're, we're making this up as we go, learning every step along the way, and luckily we can see it happen faster in pockets. Yeah. i just add to that, and the scale thing was the thing that really interest me, interested me and I found really provocative about the opportunity that KHF, Kansas Health Foundation, offered in starting the center, and that was I have been part of a number of civic, the development of a number of civic leadership development programs in across the U.S. and in other countries for 30 or 40 years now, and most of those programs focused on a cohort of, say, 20 to 40 people a year. Now, 20 to 40 people a year in a city like Denver, where I live nearby, or a state of state like Kansas, um, doesn't offer enough scale or enough oomph to to begin to shift the civic culture. It does lead to some of the pockets of success that Ed's talking about. So I think the real opportunity here with the with Kansas Leadership Center was that was was to test this hypothesis. Could you develop civic leadership at a large enough scale that over a period of time you could shift or tip the civic culture from an us versus them default to an engaging default? We still don't know the answer to that, but we've got, we're a lot closer to it having this Kansas experiment with 2,000 people a year being able to go through it uh, than we have at any point in the past. So we're going to go to break, and then I want to hear when we come back, because you've put 20,000 people through this then or, or something approaching that. So I would love to hear after break how that has impacted already the state of Kansas and presumably beyond. So we'll be right back. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today we are joined by Ed and David from the Kansas Leadership Center. And before we went on break, we were talking about you've educated now 20,000 students approximately and the idea of scale and how does, how does that level of individual transformation actually change your communities? Yeah, great, great question. And just a little clarification. I think we certainly have connected with 20,000 or well more than that Kansans by now. Um, in terms of actual program participants, we're not quite that high yet. The first year, you know, we only had, well, the, gee, David, the first year we actually didn't hold the program. We were listening and learning and developing the framework with David. Maybe you can talk about that process here in just a moment. By the second year, we started experimenting with programs, maybe had, you know, 60 or 70 participants. The next year, maybe 150. And, and we've grown each year. So now we're up to about 2,000 a year. Total, you know, alums across the state, I think, is maybe approaching 8,000 or something like that. Um, but we've, we certainly reached many more than that through these programs that use our framework and our teaching methods. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that 20,000 number ourselves soon, though, Maureen. Don't worry. And maybe being on this show will help. Uh, I think it will. I hope it does, and I hope that it also allows other organizations to reach out to you and leverage your framework across the country or internationally. Yeah, yeah I think it's a big key, too. So let me, let me just mention this um, in terms of something that I think is special, special about what we've done and why scale matters so much. Um, you know, we, we focus early on, and David, I'll let you tell the story of how we created the framework, but we focused early on on a belief that a simple 
set of powerful and provocative ideas was the way to go. And so everybody who interacts with us learns the same framework, the same simple set of provocative ideas. As, as, you, as we talked about earlier, Maureen, they're easier to talk about than to actually do. But the reason why it's so important in the, is because scale matters. And as we work with more and more people, what we're seeing is the ideas themselves become reflected, not just in an individual here or there, but actually reflected in the way an organization works or a community operates. And that's the whole idea. You know, to, I think too often leadership training is about helping that individual become you know, a, a superpower manager or a superpower quote-unquote leader. We think about it so differently and think it's about how to create a culture uh, where the exercise of leadership is expected, is prevalent, uh, despite all the pressures against it. Um, so the, the scale matters. Reaching this number of thousands of people matters because it makes it more likely that the ideas will get embedded beyond a person but actually into the way a culture or organization works. Well, I assume, because I, I, I'm mainly a bit cynical, that often people go off to leadership training and they can come back and spout ideas about what leadership should be, but they don't necessarily change themselves and their behaviors, either their mindset or their behavior, and and rare that they would do both. And it sounds like in your training and experiences, they actually may come away thinking about leadership differently, thinking about themselves differently as leaders, and behaving differently. Is that, did I get that? Well... It's certainly the aspiration, and yes, I'd say for the most part that's what what happens. And back to to when when this started was how do you find how do you develop a framework and a pedagogy that that goes with it that is powerful enough to to change people's understanding of themselves, to change people's understanding of leadership, and and to change their sense of what they are capable of. So so I think there was a there was a couple of of key choices back um in two thousand and seven or so um about what you know what kind of experiences would help help create this transformation that we're talking about. And a couple of things came out of that. Um, one of them was a, f- a focus on engagement, the necessity of engaging others in solving these problems. And the, the second was the ability to sort of um, to pull the rug out from under yourself in terms of the when a person comes to a program, they bring certain assumptions about who they are, what they're capable of, how they think about leadership, and so on. And to really question those assumptions that they bring, and to hopefully create experiences that that give them some some other more powerful, more provocative, more engaging ideas about uh, uh, how they would exercise leadership. And I think I think in large part that KLC's been successful in that, and and the scale, as Ed pointed out really sort of um, is a multiplier 
to those experiences because there are, as Ed said, now 8,000 alumni of KLC across the state of Kansas. So you have 8,000 people with a different understanding of themselves, their capacities for leadership, their understanding of leadership, their willingness to engage others. Um, so you have the, you have the chance um, of transforming the civic culture in that way. You know, I love the idea that you, you just mentioned, pull the rug out from under themselves. And it's, I've been fascinated doing leadership training for a while that occasionally someone will say something like, well, I didn't realize I had to change. So, so the perception is I just add a new behavior to my repertoire. I don't have to fundamentally examine who I am and how I think and how I show up in a situation. It's not just uh, a new conversational skill, as an example. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate the way you're describing that because uh, you know, what we try to help people understand is that if the problem is truly an adaptive challenge, meaning we don't know the solution. We maybe can't even collectively define what the problem is. We don't exactly know what to do, uh, and that we all contribute to it existing. We, we're all we're all performing in a certain way that is leading to the presence of that problem or that situation. And you know, we can't control anybody else, but we can control ourselves if we work hard enough. And what you're describing, Maureen, is what we really work hard to help people realize is ultimately exercising leadership is about um, modifying your own behavior, working against your own default behaviors uh, and to overcome great odds uh, with the hopes of moving uh, forward, moving progress forward on something that, you know, we're not seeing progress on. But it's about, it's about us changing, not about us changing others. Uh, others will need to change too, but if we can't first change ourselves, the likelihood of progress is very, very slim. So lead self first and then lead followers. So I had an interesting conversation last week, and I would be curious about your response, because you're defining, I think, that anyone can lead, but I'm assuming also not anyone should hold formal organizational leadership roles. Do you make that distinction? I guess the the way I think we would talk about it, I'm not sure if we make, uh, I I think, you know, we, we certainly believe that the exercise of leadership is available to anyone at any time. And there might be some people, based on their level of authority or credibility, that it's more likely that they could exercise leadership. Uh, but it's fundamentally available to anyone at any time. Um, in terms of, I don't think we really thought a whole lot about who should hold organizational authority, which we actually don't use the word leadership when we're referencing authority. We, we think that the confusion with that word, most people when they hear, hear the word leadership or the word leader, they think about somebody with positional authority. So we tend to talk about people who exercise leadership and we also talk about people who are authorities in a system and we try not to conflate the two. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's a great question about whether certain people should hold um, authority roles. And I think it's a separate question than who should be exercising leadership. Thank you. It just, I guess what, what strikes me, and this probably goes back to your earlier point, that there are a lot of people in those formal roles who are less than what I would consider fully effective. 
from a leadership perspective, yes. From a leadership perspective, yeah. Yeah, well, and sometimes, sometimes those, I mean, those people are in those roles. They've been given their authority. And making progress on really tough issues often, almost always, requires the disruption of things, the disruption of the status quo, the, the elevation of disequilibrium and change, which invokes loss and things. So sometimes those in authority are actually the, um, in the worst position to exercise leadership because the system is, is suggesting quietly and sometimes not so quietly uh, for them not to rock the boat. So it's, it's really an important distinction to think about the difference and why we need leadership coming uh, from everywhere. A, a historical example, real quick, Maureen, is you know, the civil rights movement. You know, Lyndon Johnson was president, um, and, and Martin Luther King Jr. led the movement. And they both had to do key things in order to make progress. And King could do things that there's no way the president of the United States could ever do. Um, and if we just expected the president of the United States to lead the way on that, it never would have happened. So sometimes authority is a, re- is a resource. Sometimes it's actually a constraint. You know, I, I don't want to go into politics, but it has been heartening to watch the number of people post-U.S. election re-engaging. Mm-hmm. Yes. And taking those informal leadership roles. To your point, they're doing the things Martin Luther King did that the president could not. Yeah. Well, it, you know, Maureen, this is, I've always seen civil society is, is a kind of a, a complement to, to um, political and public leadership, a complement to private sector leadership and nonprofit sector leadership. And it's like, you know, when the market, or the government can't or don't or won't or fail to get things right, an active civil society is what is fills in the gap. And, you know, we're here right now in the national political situation. We're in, we're, in a, we're in a real test of the strength of civil society. And organizations like Kansas Leadership Center, a piece of that mission is to contribute to the building of a strong civil society. And when people in authority figures can't or won't get it right, who, who's going to fill in the gap? You know, where do these other thousands of people who, who don't have positions... How do we engage them in exercising leadership when we can't get it from other sources or more traditional sources that we'd look to? You know, you make a point, and we're going to wrap up momentarily, but you've used the words, both of you, of experimentation. This was an experiment, and the world is changing, how we lead is changing, and the work you're doing, I believe, is helping people continue to evolve and will in the future, I'm, I'm assuming your framework evolves as well. Oh, I, I, think, I think it certainly will. Um, it will certainly evolve and grow and deepen as we, as we move forward and, and learn. We, we very much have a, a, an experimental culture here. We're trying to learn from everything we're doing, uh, not believing that we have it all figured out. And I, I think it's actually a, it's the same type of mindset people who exercise leadership need to have. If we assume, whether we're trying to run a leadership program or we're trying to mobilize the country to do something different, if, if we assume we have the correct answers and we know exactly what's needed, uh, we're probably going to fail. 
But if we assume that we have to try something and we have to then honestly assess where it went and what we did well and what we contributed to the problem and then try something else, I think that's a, a recipe for making progress. And we're, we're trying to model that in our own way. Not always succeeding, but we're trying. So it, let's it, use that point to bring us to a close. Um, for our listeners... The idea that you as individuals are leading, you're leading yourselves, you're leading in other areas in your life as an activity, not as a formal role, what have you heard today that you might put in place and how do you measure it? If, if part of being a good leader is the ability to experiment, what are you experimenting with? So back to David and Ed, how would our listeners contact you? Well, I'll mention a couple quick things. One, if you visit uh, kansasleadershipcenter.org, you can learn a lot more about us there. Uh, you can find ways to contact both David and myself there, and that would probably be the easiest approach. And we'd love, we'd love to hear from you. And as Ed mentioned earlier, all the work that we've done is in the public domain, and we're happy to share it. And so I do encourage people to reach out to you to learn more about the frameworks uh, and to see where what you have shared is something that they, through public domain, can, can learn. So I'm going to go back as we sum up and, and just sum up your framework. You talked about diagnosing self uh, as the person help contributing to the situation, diagnosing the situation, developing a course of action, and putting it in place using the principles that leadership is an activity, it begins with you, and it must engage others, and it's risky. So this is Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders, Driving Thriving Organizations. Please do reach out to me, info at metcalf-associates.com or Innovative Leaders, Driving Thriving Organizations on Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 